0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Every day of the week, I walk across the street right over there from my house to the offices here at First Naz, and it is uh, just the slightest drop in elevation, so sometimes just for fun, I will get on a longboard and just cruise across the parking lot to my office. My commute really isn't all that bad. Every day of the work week, Jay Durting drives up the hill to Genesee where he teaches school. Now I don't have any idea about Jay's driving habits, but if he drives anything like the folks at Google Maps thinks that he ought to, it should take about 23 minutes from this place right here. Again, not a really bad commute. Most of you have made the trip up the hill and up the Washington side many times, and you know that it's really not that far up there. In fact, most of you, when you head that direction, you're heading well past Genesee, so it feels like you've just gotten started when you make your way to the turnout up there. You've really just gotten started, and so you can see Genesee really just kind of a short drive. But it would be a killer of a walk, wouldn't it? If you were to start from this place right here, there are two things that make covering that distance rather difficult. The first is is the distance. It's almost 20 miles from where you sit right now to Genesee. And the second thing would be the elevation. Climbing the Lewiston Hill would very quickly separate the men from the boys. Now imagine that the Lewiston Hill was half again taller than it actually is. Who do you think would uh, sign up if we decided we were having an all-church hike to Genesee this afternoon? Janelle going by herself because nobody else raised their hand, right? Ah, that's why I kind of got stopped in my tracks this week as I read the story that will be read in millions of churches around the world today. Today is Palm Sunday the day each year that Christians celebrate Jesus' apparent coronation parade that took place just one week prior to his arrest and torture and crucifixion. I read that story again this week, and as I did, I came across a sentence that made me stop and think about a couple of men whose names have been lost to history but who made a snap decision on that day to take a walk like the one from here to Genesee, except with a hill one and a half times the size of ours in their path. And they were not the only ones who decided to make the trek that day. If you're anything like me, you might be asking, what on earth would possess somebody to do something like that? Our brother, Tom Hennigan, is going to share that story with us. Let's welcome him. to
1: From the book of Matthew Starting near the end of the 20th chapter As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho A large crowd followed him Two blind men were sitting by the roadside And when they heard that Jesus was going by They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us The crowd rebuked them, told them to be quiet But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us Jesus stopped and called them What do you want of me? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, We want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt tied by her. Untie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread those on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Well, who is this? But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord.
0: As Tom was reading the story, could you picture it? The story began in one of those famous Bible places, the city of Jericho. You may remember from uh, Sunday school or some, some stories that you were told as a child that Jericho was the fortified, walled city that was the setting for one of the well, most well known stories in all of the Old Testament. Joshua. Israel's leader, had led the whole nation of Israel on the weirdest military campaign in world history. The whole nation walked circles around the city in virtual silence for six days, and on the last day of the week they made seven laps and then gave a big shout, and the walls of the city collapsed, exposing the citizens of Jericho to the Israelite swords." Modern archaeologists have visited that place, they've excavated the site, and have found that the city of Jericho, down through time, has fallen 23 times and rebuilt one more over the course of the last several thousand years. A few of those episodes, the rising and the falling, had passed between the time that Joshua did what he did and the day that Jesus walked into Jericho in the scene that was read for us by Tom. And by the time Jesus entered the city that day, he was very well known there and in his homeland of Israel and even in the surrounding nations. This particular trip, however, would be Jesus' last time through the city of Jericho because he was headed to Jerusalem to be crucified. It happened just a few days later. It was, he kept saying, the whole point of his trip and of his life. Like the city of Jericho, uh, Jesus' reputation had risen and fallen over the course of the previous three years, but as he headed into Jerusalem this time, his following seemed to be on the rise again. And the mother of two of his closest followers could sense this building momentum in Jesus' life and in the culture around him, and she interpreted it to mean that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, bust some Roman heads, and then proclaim himself the rightful king of the nation of Israel, and the Romans. So she made a bold move. Right before he took off, she grabbed her two boys, and she dragged them to Jesus, and she asked him if he would please make them number two and number three three in his forthcoming administration. Jesus listened. He told those two guys that that sounded like a really good way to get themselves killed, but they thought that Jesus was probably exaggerating or telling one of his parables or trying to make some kind of a point, so they just mumbled something about being up for it and hoped that their mom would get what she wanted. As you can imagine, the rest of Jesus' followers, his disciples, were throwing a little bit of a fit about these two guys and their tendency towards self-promotion, probably just because they hadn't thought to act first. So Jesus pulled everybody together for a quick reminder before they hit the road, a quick reminder like we had last Sunday, that life in the Jesus way is all about being servants, not about seeing who gets to sit in the big chair and be at the head of the line. And with that, Jesus turned and headed out of Jericho toward the west, and he was beginning the long ascent toward Genesee, or Jerusalem. James and John's mom, however, was not the only person who could smell the scent of destiny on the wind that day. As Jesus and the guys left Jericho, there was a crowd. They gathered along behind him and, and turned the thing into a parade, it, except that it was taking something of a, of a troubling shape. Just what it would become has, had not yet been seen, but with a bunch of people whose hearts were full of patriotism and anger and excitement and hope, This thing could very quickly become a dangerous mix that would turn into a peasant uprising. Maybe, if it went just right, you would have the pageantry of a coronation parade instead. Had a little bit of a mob feel to it, a a mix of all those things that I mentioned before. A dangerous mix, if just the right people are part of the crowd. As the crowd hit the gates of Jericho, though, they started passing through a human tunnel, a, a gauntlet of sorts something they passed through every day as they went in and out of the city because gathered at the entrance of every town in that day was some collection of beggars, most of them people who suffered some sort of physical debilitation. Travelers then did pretty much what we all do now whenever we're faced with beggars. They just tried not to make eye contact and tried not to have one of those awkward moments when unexplained need meets unwillingness to help. The crowd wasn't on a mercy mission that day. They were doing something else. and Even more so than on other days, there was no time to deal with beggars on this day. But no one had told the beggars that. So the beggars were out there in force like they were every single day. And on this particular day, there were a couple of blind guys at their usual station. And they they heard a hum coming down the street. And they'd heard that Jesus was in town. And as the noise got closer and closer to them, they figured it out because they knew where they were in the calendar. Big festival in Jerusalem. Everybody knew Jesus was going to go. This was probably going to be the time when he was going to play all of his cards. And as they heard the name Jesus and they heard the sound of the crowd coming down the street they knew that this was their big opportunity and so they started screaming his name and even giving to him the title that other people had kind of sort of rumored might be the case about Jesus they started calling him Messiah when they'd woken up that morning they had no idea what was going to happen they had no plans to go to Jerusalem because blind people didn't have a way to get to Jerusalem and their friends and loved ones didn't want to take them there for the feasts because it was such an added burden to have to bring somebody along only to get to Jerusalem and find out that because they were blind they would not be allowed into the temple of God's people because at some level it was assumed they'd been cursed by God because of sin in their lives. So I take them. So these guys got up that morning knowing most other folks would be headed that direction, but they would be headed no farther than the city gate where they would just do what they had done every day of their lives, wait, and hope that somebody would have a little mercy on them and give them a little bit of coin, and then wait a little bit longer and hope that some member of their family or a next-door neighbor might come get them and lead them back to their homes at the end of the day. But over the last few years, they'd heard stories about this Jesus guy. And and every story that they heard about Jesus was about him helping somebody. They'd heard that he helped people everywhere that he went. Beggars too. Except he never gave beggars money. Instead, he would heal them of whatever it was that had kept them down and on the dole for so long. And I can't say this from experience, but I'll bet that if I was blind, and you were too, And if we had a choice, we'd take our vision over two bucks and some condescension daily. And so, as Jesus came down the street, these two guys started screaming his name and calling him Messiah. That's that's what the phrase son of David meant. And some people in the mob thought this was rather unsightly and unseemly and inappropriate for the day. And so they told him to pipe down that Jesus really didn't have time to deal with them that day, that he had more important things to do, things that the people like them could never understand. But when you're blind... And you think this is the only chance you'll ever have at life being different for you. You are not going to let the arrogant loudmouths in the land stop you. So these two guys just cranked it up a few notches. They decided they're going to get Jesus' attention or die. One of the two. It was awkward. It was becoming a scene that threatened to distract from the real point of the day. Jesus' destined trip to their nation's capital. And just as the head of the procession seemed to be blowing past the awkward moment, Jesus stopped in his tracks, and he called for the two beggars, said, come to me, and then asked them, what do you want me to do for you? They could have said, "Uh, well, some money would be nice, Jesus, duh. They they could have said, how about teaching your followers to be nice to beggars? That would be good for a change. They could have said, tell the people that God doesn't hate us. They're no better than we are. That's what folks thought in that day. These guys were blind, but they were not fools. So they said to Jesus, we we would really like to see. And with that, Jesus reached out both hands and touched those men on their eyes. And the text then says, this is the part that stopped me in my tracks as I was reading this week. The text then says that two things happened immediately. And I want you to stop for a moment and feel the force of the word immediately. As in, bam, right now, something changes, two things change. Immediately, they received their sight. Their eyes didn't get slowly better. Jesus didn't send them home with some drops and say, Well, I'll pass back through, and in seven weeks, you should have modest vision again. Nope, bam, like that, they could see again. But the text also says that they immediately fell in line behind Jesus and started walking toward Genesee slash Jerusalem, 20 miles uphill virtually the whole way, Climbing a hill one and a half times the size of the beast that sits at the north end of our valley. These two guys were not up for the hike. They didn't hike. They were not hikers. They were beggars. And beggars were people who sat and looked intentionally pitiful so that they might get the the, the pity and the pity money that came from folks who passed their way. These guys spent all day every day in the same place. They'd heard from their friends and relatives about what a brutal trip it is to Jerusalem and back because their family and friends who were, who were healthy and well made that trip and were required to at least three times a year. But these two men had been blind one second, and in the next second they could see, and their immediate response, get this, it was not something like, um, I have to go tell my family. They were blind one second, they could see the next, and their response was not, I just want to go see my wife's face or my kid's face. They were blind one second, they could see the next, but their response wasn't, I have to go home and pack for the big Passover trip. It's my first one. Their response was, that guy healed me, and there he goes. I'm going with him. Remember that. And think about it from time to time. When those two men considered what Jesus had done for them, it took them absolutely no time whatsoever to just turn over their lives to following him. They didn't even know what that meant. But they wrote Jesus this blank check that day and said, Jesus, you fill in all the zeros you want, I'm yours. I follow you, me, a follower of you now. They covered most of the miles up the grade, but when they got uh, right near the top, Jesus decided to, to stop within line of sight from Jerusalem at a place called Bethphage. There he gave order to a couple of his disciples to uh, go into the city and take care of some things. And the rest of the mob just kind of staged at the hilltop for a while. They watched Jesus to see uh, what it is that he would want them to do. And it seemed that he kept looking back in toward the city of Jerusalem, so they just kind of followed Jesus. Look at Jesus, look at Jerusalem, look at Jesus... Look at Jerusalem. It was the weekend, as I mentioned, of one of the big festivals, the big passover So there were a number of people on the roads that were streaming into Jerusalem, and the traffic was very definitely headed that direction. But one of those times, as the disciples noticed Jesus' gaze was turning the direction of Jerusalem, they looked too, and instead, the traffic was all coming this way. Boiling out of the eastern gate of the city came a large mass of people out toward Bethphage in a hurry, Question number one on their minds, are they carrying sharp pointy things, right? Number one, question number one, when you see a bunch of people running your way, is this a safe situation? And knowing about the Roman garrison in Jerusalem and that they would be on High alert on this of all weekends, the people had to ask the question, are they soldiers that are coming our way? They couldn't tell at first. And the next thing they knew while they're trying to figure that out, they see Jesus climbing onto a donkey, kicking it in the flanks to get it moving, and headed straight toward the mess, headed right into the mess that was blowing out of Jerusalem toward him. This was about to get interesting. Two former blind men from Jericho had never seen and therefore, they'd never seen anything like this. But neither had anybody else on the scene that day. But they, they found themselves uh, almost instinctively acting out a story or two that they'd heard from their nation's ancient history. It was pandemonium. People were literally tearing their clothes off of their body and throwing them on the road in front of Jesus, trying to make a, a makeshift kind of red carpet. But there were some gaps, and so people went over and started ripping the limbs out of the palm trees that the the city of Jerusalem was known for, and they're kind of filling in the gaps between the clothing on the road. It was like they thought the ground itself was too unholy for Jesus' borrowed donkey to even set foot on it. And when they looked toward the city, they saw that the crowd that was coming their way were doing the exact same thing as if on cue. Well, that's good because it means that this thing is uh, has, has a pageantry and a nationalistic air to it, and, and it felt a whole lot better than the idea of Roman soldiers running their way. So everyone breathed a collective sigh of relief that the day turned into this nationalistic pageant instead of a bloodbath. But the weekend was not over, and Jesus surely hadn't come to Jerusalem to give pony rides. As fun as the moment was, there was something else on the wind that day. A strange sense of foreboding. And Jesus was heading right straight into it on purpose. He may have created the storm, may have been responsible for it, but now he was heading straight into it. As I read that story this week, it struck me that there were three groups of people who were all responding to Jesus that day. The first is made up of the average Jericho followers and the crowds that came out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus. I know they came from two different cities. I know that they were heading to opposite directions, but they were really just one group. When the Jesus movement seemed to be about something that they wanted, when, when Jesus' whole life and mission seemed to be a vehicle for bringing about life on their terms— the kind of results that they wanted, well, they jumped in with great enthusiasm. But if you know anything about the rest of this story, if you've ever heard it before, you know that their enthusiasm for Jesus lasted mere days, and they turned their backs on him when he didn't give them absolutely whatever they wanted. The second group that responded to Jesus that day were the people who remained in Jerusalem. These were the people whose response to this giant, exciting, unfolding scene was, it's only Jesus. You see, everyone there knew his reputation. They'd heard the same things that the adoring crowd had heard. Jesus had been to Jerusalem before. He had taught in the temple courts and in their streets. He was no stranger to them. They'd heard about his baptism, God speaking from heaven, saying, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. It's just that the folks who remained in Jerusalem didn't believe it. They didn't believe any of it. And so this was just that Jesus and a bunch of his mindless followers. Nothing worth getting excited about. Maybe if we just go on with our life this day, Jesus, is, Jesus and his followers will just, you know, shut up and go away. Those folks were joined by a few others who were a bit more venomous. They, they wanted to kill Jesus. But, but in the end, this whole group of folks who stayed in Jerusalem are characterized by just this one thing. They rejected Jesus outright. They don't want anything to do with him. The third group, as you might guess, are the blind men, or I guess properly so-called the formerly blind men. It's important to me that I confess to you that I don't know if their faith outlasted anyone else's who was on the scene that day. These two guys are never mentioned again in the Bible after this one phrase. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. But I was struck by a few things as I read about these two guys. I realized that uh, whatever else is true, those two guys knew their real need that day. Not money, not intervention in their relationships, not a new job, not political victory for their point of view. They needed sight. They needed Jesus to lay his hands on them and to fundamentally change something about the nature of their day-to-day existence. So They called it what it was. They also recognized that uh, when they received that, that had an obligation. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, now you have to follow me. But they knew they did. When they realized that Jesus had done for them something that they couldn't do for themselves, they instantly responded by giving their lives to following him. Now remember that the crowd that day that they joined was going to do something to usher in Jesus' kingdom. They were going to either hold this coronation parade if everything went right, And and the masses would join them, and Jesus would be swept into office in glorious fashion. Or if they needed to, they were ready to take up arms, roll up their sleeves, and do what had to be done to beat down the filthy dogs who had occupied their land and take back their holy city. Either way, they were investing their lives at a very real risk of losing them. Had the crowd that came rolling out of Jerusalem that day been the Roman legion, they would not have stopped hacking at an Israeli flesh until they had made a very bloody point. These two guys threw in with Jesus and said, whatever his lot, whatever it is that happens to him when he gets there, we're with him. Count us in. They were obligated to join Jesus because of what he had done for them. And they knew it. I just find it interesting that they didn't chafe under it. They didn't argue. They just went with Jesus. Finally, I noticed that these guys followed even though it was difficult. They walk up one and a half Lewiston Hills and, and all the way to Genesee. That's not an easy task for anyone. And these guys were unprepared. They were ill-suited for the task. But instead of making excuses about why they couldn't follow Jesus, like so many other people did in gospel stories that we've read from the pages of Scripture, these two guys just decided that they would forego all the excuses, they would embrace the difficulty, and go with Jesus wherever he was leading them. Maybe instead of three groups, we can really reduce the, the crowd to... Two groups that day. The first says, here he comes, and we don't want anything to do with him. And the second one says, there he goes. And I can no longer imagine life without him, so I'm going with him. The second group didn't have all the answers. They had no promises that this was going to work out at all. They didn't have a promise that if they followed him long enough and and kept enough of his commands that eventually this would, would lead them to the head of Easy Street. None of those promises. But they had come to him in recognition of their real need. They had experienced his love when he met that need, and they knew that love means I go with you. Most of you have probably already put yourself in this story in one of those groups. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not impossible that there are people who come to a church on Sunday morning who say, I like the people at the church, but the whole Jesus thing, I'm just not buying it. And no, Cliff, no, don't push me on the issue. There's probably not a lot of those folks gathered in a sanctuary, our sanctuary here this morning. So, probably the rest of us fall into one of two groups: we're either the folks that have said, um, "I'm in," or, or maybe we're the people who've said, "I'm not in yet." still thinking, still considering. The jury's out. If you are uh, already in with Jesus, then this morning I would say maybe the the takeaway from the sermon is for you to stop and consider what it really means to be in with Jesus. You know, next Sunday will be a big Sunday around here. Easter's always tons of fun. The, the, the place is more crowded than any other Sunday of the year. We'll have a uh, an Easter egg hunt on the lawn behind us here. There'll be a fantastic breakfast set over here. There'll be so many people that we have to have two services and you can, you, you saw the times on the screen and in, in the bulletin. It's a, it's a great Sunday. It's a fun Sunday. And it's always one that's filled with joy for Christians because we talk about what we think is the pivotal event in all of human history. Somebody rose from the dead. It doesn't happen every day. Because of that, we say that this guy who rose from the dead changes absolutely everything about life. Enough that we've decided we'll live our lives in light of that fact. So next Sunday will be a great day here because all the people who believe that will come and they will they will sing joyful songs about our faith in the risen Jesus. We're excited enough about it. Some of you have been telling me that you're inviting friends on Easter Sunday because you want them to experience the joy that we experience. I'm praying for your friends by name. Keep those names coming to me. It'll be probably beautiful weather. It'll be a great time outside and watching little kids have fun. And then we'll go home and eat these great big um, Easter lunches. And at the end of the day, it'll be a great day. Honestly, in America... Following Jesus is mostly like that, most of the time. It, it, it's, it's pretty joyful. Our lives are filled with blessings and for the most part, relative ease. Right? Grateful for that. We are grateful people. But if you're a person who who's said, I'm already in with Jesus, you should also consider the fact that life will not always be easy. And the question is, when Jesus doesn't do exactly what you want him to do, and he doesn't do it in the time frame that you want it done, are you still going to be in with Jesus? Are you still going to say, in light of what he has done for me, I recognize an obligation to be faithful while I wait on him to do the next fantastic thing in my life? It's a question that you should probably consider this morning if you're a person who's already said, I'm in with Jesus. But if you're a person who this morning is saying, you know, I, I'm not in with Jesus yet, and I'm not of the I don't want anything to do with him crowd, but I'm, I'm more of a not yet kind of gal or not yet kind of a guy, then I would just um, remind you of one sentence in the story. These two guys went to Jesus. He asked them, what can I do to help you? And then he helped them. And the text says, immediately it followed him. Maybe the, the, the thought of God being involved in your life is relatively new to you. But as you sit here today and you reflect over your life, can you see some things that were so remarkably good that they sort of defy human causality. You look at some things and you say, God must have done that. Because there were 900 ways it could have gone bad, and it didn't. And it went very, very well, and it brought great joy into my life. Or maybe it saved my life. And, and something in your heart and in your mind is, has be, begun to suspect that God has been active in your life in the past, even when you didn't have, say, eyes to see him at the time. But now you say, hmm, there's a God who's been doing some good things for me. Friend, listen, if this morning you can see that God has done something for you, I think maybe today could be the day that you respond the way the two formerly blind men did. And they recognize what Jesus had done for them immediately they followed him. When we say follow Jesus, uh, it it means something a little bit different than those guys that day because there's not going to be a parade today. Nobody gets crowned king in America. We don't do that. When we say follow Jesus, what we mean is this. We'll just look to him. We'll look to the stories from his life the teaching that came from his lips, and we will say, I want to become that kind of a man. I want to become that kind of a woman, that kind of teen or child. I realized that he was a great and godly person, and and quite frankly, he seems too good for a person like me to ever really measure up. And by following him, what we mean is that not only do you try to follow him, but that you can invite him, his spirit, Come and live in your heart. And when you do, something incredible takes place. I alluded to it in my prayer earlier that, that he'll transform us from the inside out. You'll find new strength that you did not have before in the face of temptation. You will find endurance when, in times past, you would have given up long before. You'll find peace in the middle of the most difficult tragedies that life throws your way, and you will find joy when it does not make sense for you to have joy. When we say follow Jesus, what we mean is opt in, live as he taught by the power of his Holy Spirit, and begin to receive the good things that come in conjunction with him. But honesty in advertising, I got to tell you that sometimes it is like walking to Genesee. It's uphill, and it's a long day. If you're going to be in with Jesus, you've got to be in on those days too. But the promise is this, that he'll make the trip with you. When you're tired, he'll bear you up. When you're thirsty, he'll make sure that you're refreshed. And he will never leave your side, because he is faithful to those who say, I'm in with you. To get in with Jesus, to throw your lot in with him is, is, is also a little bit different than the story because you can't just begin the journey with one, one step that is a physical step. It works like this. We pray and we, we look God's direction and say, God, I, I, my life is, well, you know what it is. And I recognize that I've made it this way and the mistakes of some other people have made it this way too and I need some help forgiving them and I need to be forgiven of, of the things that I've done I, I, I need a new life. I want, the, I want to be forgiven of the old one. And, and I, want, I don't just want a blank slate. I want a new life, a new kind of life today. And, and I want you to come and be a part of it. I want you to live inside of me. And that simple prayer, he never, ever, ever declines. He forgives those who ask. He comes and lives in those who invite him to do so. And he sticks closer than you can imagine. So how about it? Are you ready to 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 make the change from a not yet to an immediately kind of person? If so, why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and you can you can kind of pray this prayer with me. You know, I have to say it out loud but you have to really mean it in your heart as you attempt to have a conversation with God. How about this? The rest of you folks who are already in with Jesus, why don't you do this right now? Why don't you just pray for all the folks who are trying to make the decision right now? That they'll find the hope and the courage that they need to make that decision. And I'd ask everybody to stand with me, please. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Again, when when I ask you to do that, it's not because this is the proper way to pray because we're not worried about that. This is about simply allowing the people standing next to you to have the privacy that they need to to carry on a conversation with God and not feel self-conscious. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, even if you don't have anything to say to God today, if you just do that out of respect for the person next to you, I'd sure appreciate it. Father, Father, I'm grateful for this this book, the Bible, that you've given to us and for the way that you have preserved its content down through the ages so that we read these same stories that Christians have read for a couple thousand years now and we still find them living and breathing the truth. Who wouldn't love the story of, of a blind person Getting to see again. That would make the news in our land. And two guys side by side at the same time? That's covered by every news agency and it would be the talk of the entire country. You deserve praise, Lord Jesus, for what you did for those two men long ago. And we give it to you today. We praise you. You're compassionate and loving and kind. We praise you for that. I think there are probably some folks in the room today, Lord, who've had a somewhat similar experience. They've had the eyes of their understanding opened a little bit today, and, and there's some spiritual light that's, that's starting to flood their hearts today. It's like they can see clearly now. And they're at the place of decision, but there's a lot on the line, and there's there's ego involved, there's 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 pride, and there's and there's all these unanswered questions about what what if it gets really hard to follow Jesus, and what if what if there are days when I can't sense that He's close to me, and 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 all kinds of questions, and some people that you love, Lord, are right there at the door of decision right now. What I ask is that you would make yourself plain enough to them, real enough to them, that at this moment they're willing to take the first step of the journey in following you. Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us of the things that we've done, that are offensive to you, that have been damaging to ourselves and other people. We call them sins, and we, we ask you to forgive us. The truth is we also carry some, some scars in our lives that come from the sins of other people. Quite frankly, some anger and some sorrow that it's awfully hard to let go of. So we ask for your help in forgiving them. We don't, if we're going to ask for forgiveness, we have to be people who give it to. We get that. So still we need your help, so we're asking for it. But if you don't do something, Lord, about my life, I'll go back to living the way that I always have. So today I want to ask you to come and live inside of me. Strengthen me, purify my heart, change my mind, and redirect my steps. Jesus, I'm with you now. So I just need you to know I'm counting on you sticking by me. If you'd just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just one more moment, I just want to ask the question, is there anybody here today who prayed a prayer, something like that? And said, "You know what? I've been waiting. Today, I waited no longer. I, I'm in. Okay, good. I see your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Anybody else? I'm not gonna. Yeah, am not gonna single you out. I'm not gonna ask you to come up front and and talk like Sue did. Not today, anyway. <laughs> I just want to be able to pray this prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing yourself." to some folks in this room today. One more time, you've touched people. One more time, you've convinced us of your love. One more time, you've come and moved in where you've been invited. Now what I pray, Lord, is that you would uh, encourage those who've made this decision and have have confessed it to me today. And I pray that you'd give them the courage to talk to one other person today about the decision that they've made because it just kind of helps... Oh, set the concrete. Really kind of helps firm up this decision. And I pray as they start the walk toward their own Genesee, it should be close enough they can tell it, real enough and helpful enough that early on they can see it's going to be worth it. We ask also that you'd prepare our hearts for next week because we want to come in here and turn the joy on as we celebrate the good news of your death and of your resurrection. In your holy name we pray. Amen.